alongside Luke Burroughs as he has uh, tonight off. We brought in a guest, special guest. We've been into this episode for quite some time, Rain Hernandez, and then, as always, uh, Nick Robertson. Before we get into this entire episode, Rob- I said Robinson. No, I heard you said Robertson. Robertson. No, you, you definitely said Robertson. said Robertson. Well, I, well, it is what it is. It's easier. It rolls off the tongue easier. And I'm just a huge fan. So anyway, we have a lot to cover. But before we get to that, I want to remind everyone who's tuning in uh, to download both the Barnburner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire and Fire TV sticks, Roku and Roku sticks also on all smart TVs 2016 and forward. I could have sworn I said Nick Robinson, but maybe Nick Robertson's just easier to say regardless. Um, we're joined by a very special guest. We had him on on our old show back when we were uh, in the studio or affiliated with our uh, school's radio station, Rain Hernandez. He is a scout for the Oakville Blades. He does works for McKean's Hockey, uh, U Sports correspondent, basically jack of all trades. Rain, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I love uh, talking prospects with you guys. So it's an honor, always. Yeah. Yeah, last one we talked, we tried to tee up the draft when we weren't really sure when the draft would be. Uh, I don't think we expected it to be four months later. Um, But now that we have a set date for the draft, it's going to be just in four days on October 6th. We have a lot to get to. We have some mock draft or uh, top 10 rankings. We have diving deep on specific players, looking at what Montreal's needs are, what Ottawa's needs are, what Chicago's needs are. So I think we're going to get right into it. And I want to talk about your draft ranking specifically and what you look for in a player. Cause I know obviously you follow prospects a lot doing the work for puck preps as well. What goes in to your specific rankings and what do you specifically look for when you're uh, making your rankings? Well, in terms of rankings and uh, looking at prospects, I think the most important thing I like to look at is uh, just the hockey IQ, you know, just the decision makings they make in the offensive zone, defensive zone, uh, their vision. I, I think that's something that's really important. No matter what position you play, whether you're a you know stay-at-home defenseman or a you know high energy forward, uh, the vision is really important. And also, I think uh, it's something that roots with pretty much everything is just their overall skating. I think uh, you know if if you're a really good skater, then you know the other parts of your skill set will match with it. As long as you have that base of being a really good skater and really talented on, uh, with your edge work. I think that's something that's really important. So uh, in terms of also rankings and looking at prospects, I, I, I like to compare between prospects, obviously, because, you know, that's obviously how you make rankings. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of things have to go into account. You have to think about, you know, what league they're playing in. You know, if they're playing, you know, in a professional league, if they're getting ice time, you know, whatnot. So you got to look at different aspects, but overall it's a, it's a pretty cool process. Right. So if we can, Nick, uh, I did my top 10 for this class and rain, I'm not sure what yours is. And maybe you could talk me through mine, see if what we disagree, what we agree on Nick as well. Cause I know you follow prospects a little bit and just sort of touch on what you agree with, what you don't agree with. And obviously the big one, and we're going to pull it up here in a second that the three of us have been a big believer in, and that is the first overall pick that we've, that we've known to known to love and appreciate his game for a while. And right there for mine, I have Quinton Byfield. And for me, my reasoning behind this, and Nick, we'll get to you in a second, is I just, every single draft year, there's always a center that is slept on in favor of a winger. And that's easier for a winger to be ready to step into the league and play on both ends of the ice, whereas a center takes historically every single draft, they take longer to develop. So that's sort of my rationale behind it. And Nick, I want to get you to jump in because you haven't really said, haven't heard, heard from you yet. So let's, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Byfield love for, him being first overall and what do you think of of, uh of his game 
Well, I think the both of you know this, and I've said this before, there is probably not a prospect uh, ever, at least from my time watching hockey, that I have followed as much and for as long as I followed Quentin Byfield. He's definitely been one of the most interesting players to follow for the past few years, just purely because of the raw talent that's there, his size and his skill. It's such a unique blend. And, you know, I'm surprised we haven't seen as many people putting him towards the top of their draft boards this year. But, you know, a lot of that comes down to what happened at the World Juniors, and we all know about that. And Alexa Lafreniere sort of stole the show. But, you know, I, I'm still so shocked to this day that Quentin Byfield, for a lot of people, even seems like more of a third overall pick than a first overall pick. Rain, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but Pat, you clearly have him at one here. Rain, in your opinion, is Byfield closer to pick number one, assuming that's Alexi Lafreniere, or is he closer to a number three? Yeah, I think you guys know what my opinion is on Quentin Byfield. Uh, I think I sort of drilled it in your minds before, you know, this whole draft process started. So I, I think I planted the seed and then it just grew as the year went on. So obviously I think Quentin Byfield is going to be the best prospect in this draft. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. I think the combination of the speed, size, just skill, he's got the complete package. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, a lot of people didn't like his or don't like to put him at number one is because the media at the beginning already had Lafreniere as the first overall pick. And once that usually happens in draft classes, people don't like to move over and change their opinion. But personally, I've always been on the Byfield hype train. And I think, you know, I think the main thing is the world junior thing for sure. But I think Byfield is a little bit better and like as a prospect than Lafreniere is because of the birthday. You know, Lafreniere is a late 01. So he got you know, pushed over to this year's draft. But, you know, if he's in the 2019 draft class, I think he's the first overall pick. It's nothing against Lafreniere. I just think Byfield's a better prospect. And overall, you always like to pick the center over the winger. So that's one thing. Yeah, that's always been my belief. And we can go back draft year after draft year. Even uh, you look at someone like Matt Barzell or Dylan Larkin, how much they were slept on going into their draft year. And I think we forget so much. Yeah, Lafreniere is the best, is the better hockey player right now. He can probably step in the easiest, uh, but it's about who's going to be the best. And so you're going to look five years down the road, ten years down the road. And I think if Byfield falls past second overall, there are going to be a lot of teams. Unless he goes to Ottawa, LA could be beating <laughs> themselves up, thinking they didn't get that center. Who, again, I know people don't like this comparison, but I draw comparisons to Evgeny Malkin. He's a big center. Like he was built in a lab six foot four and he can skate super fast. So I think a lot of teams who, who pass up on him, because I think there will be, are, are going to look back. But again, it's about the winger being ready sooner and Byfield's a project for sure. And I don't, I don't disagree that there are, there are flaws in his game and his defensive game and maybe a little bit in his effort that he can work on, but that's the whole point. It, it's, you take, you take the risk, not even a risk, but you take the player who has the higher ceiling and more potential, which also fills um, a bigger need. Nick, if you had anything you wanted to add on. Uh... Yeah, no, I'm sure the three of us here, this combination could sit here and probably do a full hour on Quentin Byfield right now, just Hello. raving about all the tools, what makes him such a special player. But Patrick, I'll go back to your list now. We'll pull it up again. Another point of conversation that could exist in this list that you have here yep. is at the number three pick. You have Lucas Raymond listed where a lot of the popular belief would have Tim Stutzla in that conversation, forming the big three alongside Lafreniere and Byfield. Maybe talk us through a little bit what went into your decision there. Uh, I love Lucas Raymond. I've always been a big Lucas Raymond fan. And uh, again, this happens when you make player comparisons is if you put one above the other, 
people assume you're criticizing the one you put down and that's really not the case. And I, and I don't deny that Tim Stutzel will be an unbelievable hockey player, but there's so much about Lucas Raymond and that people seem to forget. I know he was put in a more defensive role. He wasn't given a lot of ice time, but he's such a creative playmaker. When he's on the ice, he's a threat every single time. He's fast, and he honestly reminds me a little bit of Mitch Marner, the way he skates. Um, I think he's a little better with puck control and a bit better of a shooter, but um, he's a player that I've grown to love, and I, for that reason, I also see him having higher potential than someone like Tim Stutzel, which I know is a hot take because people have him at two, but uh, I think people are finally starting to realize that Lucas Raymond is this good, and that only really happened because the draft was pushed, and now he was able to start his season again in the SHL and for Lunda and people are saying, Oh, this kid's pretty good. I'm going to put him in my top three. And he was always this good. That's the thing. Sometimes he yeah. just wasn't given the opportunity. So that's my sort of rationale for having him at three rain. If you have anything you want to add. Yeah. Rain, any thoughts on Lucas Raymond? Yeah. My top three hasn't really changed since the beginning of the draft process for me. Uh, I've always been high on Lucas Raymond as well. Uh, I think people just wanted to jump on the Tim Stutzler bandwagon just because of that world junior performance. And also, you know, he got he got a lot more opportunity in, uh, in in playing pro in Germany, whereas Lucas Raymond was stuck in the third and fourth line during his draft year. And I see, I see that happens a lot. And, you know, when you're playing pro hockey as an underager, we saw it last season with Vasily Podkolzin. He didn't really get that big of an opportunity. But, you know, when he does get that opportunity playing against kids his own age, he's a dominant force. We saw it uh, with Lucas Raymond in the U18s, uh, I think, last season. Uh, Hattrick. We're up Hattrick in the gold medal yeah. game. And, you know, the the goaltender in net is none other than Yaroslav Askarov. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, obviously we don't like to look at the international tournament. But, you know, in terms of someone who's not getting a lot of playing time in, in their legitimate team, those tournaments are really important. That's why Lucas Raymond is just an elite talent. And I think, you know, he's a no-brainer at number three. All right. So maybe then let's go backwards then in a sense and talk about the guy that Patrick, I guess, looked over to some people, Tim Stutzla. Very divisive player. I know a lot of the experts, the common belief now for quite some time is that he is possibly the second best player in this draft class. Uh, at very worst, the third best to some. His stock has probably risen more than anybody else in this entire draft year. Patrick, I'll go to you first. What are yeah. your thoughts on Tim Stutzla? Again, I love Tim Stutzel and, and I, I like the way he plays. He's unbelievably shifty and he skates extremely well. And I love his control with the puck. But again, I think we talk so much about world juniors and, you know, the three of us can talk about this so much, how you shouldn't focus so much time on evaluating prospects through a two week tournament at an international level. There's so much more that goes into a prospects play. And I know Tim Stutzel will be a fantastic hockey player. He'll be a first line winger and or a center depending on how how they see him play but with him i think people need to tamper expectations a little bit because there are a lot of patrick kane comparisons and i just think tim stutzel will be his own type of player and i think if you're going to draw a comparison to patrick kane they better have their entire game figured out and there's still elements of tim stutzel's game that i've seen where he tries to do a little bit too much and i think in some ways can be a bit too selfish i know um elite prospects gave him a somewhat lower rating for his teamwork ability that's one thing that i think he should work on but again it's not a knock on him i don't think he'll i don't think he won't amount to a, a for, uh, i think he will amount to be a, a first line winger but um I just think there are safer and I guess higher upside options with guys like uh, Byfield and Raymond. Rain thoughts on Tim Stutzla. Yeah, I, overall, I love him as a, I love him as a player. I think he's a great talent, you know, whether he's a winger or a center person, I see him as a winger, but you know, he's an offensive dynamo, but I think 
you know, the difference between Lucas Raymond and Tim Stutzla is, you know, a lot of people put Tim Stutzla up there because of that world junior performance, but also, you know, you gotta, you gotta also think about, you know, he's playing on Germany, you know, Germany doesn't have, you know, first line or first, you know, first round talent, you know, up and down their lineup, right. They, they had John Jason Paterka, they have Lucas Reichel, but you know, on Sweden, Lucas Raymond has to battle and he has to, you know, fight for his playing time. Whereas Tim Stutzla is out there every other shift. So that's why I think a lot of people wanted to put Tim Stutzla up there. I still think he's going to be a fantastic hockey player, but uh, that's why I'm still high in Lucas Raymond. Pat, you've got another couple of centermen in that conversation, just on the top, in the top five and on the top five bubble in between Marco Rossi and Anton Lundell. What's, uh, what's your reasoning there? Well, Marco Rossi I actually have as one of the players with the highest ceilings. And I honestly think you can make an argument for Marco Rossi going uh, third overall with how skilled he is. I know Rain and I have talked about this before, but the way he plays, how smart he is, um, especially offensively. And I'm not saying this is what he'll be, but he draws comparisons to Sidney Crosby, the way he handles the puck, the way he turns the puck, the way he controls the puck, everything about him and the playmaking and shooting ability for, that he has is so strong and, and for that reason, I have him above Tim Stutzel. And I think he's a player that I think is going to drop significantly. I think he could go probably to eighth in this year's draft. And I think another one, just like Byfield, people are kind of sleeping on the center and people are going to look back and think we could have taken that guy. So I'm a big fan of Marco Rossi and Anton Lundell we can get to after, but I, I want to hear Rain's thoughts a little bit on, uh, on Rossi's play. Yeah, I, I am absolutely in love with Marco Rossi. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the draft year, uh, I sort of wasn't the biggest fan on him, but then once you start watching him play and watch him dominate the OHL, it, it was, it was just incredible. A lot of people take a knock on him because of his size and he's not the biggest guy, but we saw it in the playoffs, you know, who was the best player out there is Braden point. He's not the biggest center, but Marco Rossi, you know, people think he's, you know, built as a winger in the NHL because of his size, but I think he's a perfect center. He's got great, you know, uh, balance. He's hard to take the puck off of and, he just does everything well and he's a great playmaker, just an all around great player. And I think he's, he's going to be legit. And, you know, next season we're going to see, I think he's going to, you know, make the jump to professional hockey. I don't know if it's going to be in the NHL or, you know, whether it's overseas or even in the AHL, but I think he's ready. And I think he's going to be a legit talent. Now, like Patrick said, he could go as low as eighth, possibly ninth in this draft, just because of the amount of talent that, you know, there's talks of Ascarov moving into the top 10, which could affect his draft position. The same thing with Jake Sanderson. What about him makes him so divisive for people? Is this purely down to his size, Rain? Yeah, I think I think it's a, a lot of it has to do with his size. And also because uh, just for the love of other prospects, you know, a lot of people, uh, I think we're going to talk about this later in the show, but, you know, due to this pandemic, we've gotten a lot of time to, you know, take a look at prospects and get, you know, more of a evaluation on players but I think people like to sleep on Lucas or uh, Marco Rossi because of their love for like a Tim Stutzla or like a you know Cole Perfetti you know a lot of people are really high on Cole Perfetti but if you compare him to a guy like Marco Rossi I think it's you know I think Rossi's just overall the better player. So I, we talked about this briefly and Nick and I have talked about this before in the NHL when you're looking at young players and looking at this draft class or next year's draft class, how much do you factor in size? Because I actually wrote about this the other day. I was talking about players who are big, but sometimes if you're big and you're hitting, you're chasing the play. Sometimes when you're small, you're not engaged in physical play. And I think there's, you can make an argument for both, 
but how much does a player, if there's a player who's five, eight or five, nine, I think Rossi's about five, nine, but yeah, do, you, five, nine. do you use that as, as a way to say, if you like or dislike a player in any way? And I'm just curious if, if how much you factor in size for, for players like that. For players like that, I don't really look at size as a big factor. I mean, we see it. The game of hockey has changed so much. You know, you're not looking for that six four big center anymore. You're looking for the best player available. And we're seeing it in other sports too. Uh, you see it in football. You're not looking for that big six five quarterback. You're looking for the best player that can play the position. So, I mean, in terms of looking at players and looking at prospects, you got to look at the best overall talent, not looking at size or anything like that. Obviously, you want to look at size a little bit, but also size is something – well, obviously you can't teach height, but you can also teach strength and you can also develop players. And that's the most important thing about, you know, looking at prospects is what they can be. So that's something that I like to always keep in mind. Yeah, and I, I think you made a good point there, Rain. There's a difference between, you know, this player isn't big and this player isn't engaged physically because, you know, we see it in the NHL, even guys that are smaller size, smaller height, smaller weight can be definitely a physical presence on the ice. They can be battling for pucks, everything that a coach wants. That doesn't necessarily mean it's only big players that do that. Right. So I think that's something we tend to overlook and it's just a bias that a lot of NHL scouts and managers have when they're evaluating that talent. I want to move on here now and talk about the defenseman. Obviously, the at the time when we back back when we did our show, the one we really talked about was Jamie Drysdale. Someone like Jake Sanderson, his stock has risen a lot. Maybe his perceived stock has risen a lot. That's up for debate. But these are the two most prominent defensemen in this class, and we can get to some of the secondary guys. How good are Drysdale and Sanderson, or is this more of a product of the draft being so forward heavy? Yeah, I mean. I think Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson are some of the, you know, really good defensive prospects that have come out recently. I think they're both legit. I think Jamie Drysdale is going to be an excellent defenseman. I think the offensive upside that he brings, but he's also very underrated as a defense as, you know, playing the defensive side of the puck. Uh, we saw it in Erie. That guy was playing. He was logging a lot of minutes. That Erie team was not very good. And he was able to, you know, play against the opposing team's best lines, but also provide something offensively. Meanwhile, with a guy like Jake Sanderson, he is a great player. He's no slouch. You know, a, a lot of people at the beginning of the draft process thought that Jake Sanderson was just this big defenseman that, you know, people are going to over, they're going to take early because they need a defenseman, sort of like a Maurice Sider last year. But I think Jake Sanderson is a top 10 talent. I think he's a complete defenseman. He's got tremendous, tremendous skating. I think he has a, you know, awesome first pass, but also, you know, he's, he's a big body too. So like, you know, nowadays you're looking for that defenseman that can do it all, but also has that size. And I think Jake Sanderson has it. And I think we're going to see it next year too. When he goes to North Dakota, they got a really complete team and uh, he's going to fit in well there. Now, just obviously based on that, it sounds like you're a lot higher on Jake Sanderson than I think a lot of the more analytical models forward or quote-unquote forward-thinking people are you're obviously a lot more high on Jake Sanderson then yeah not necessarily I think they're really close I think you know Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson are like this I think they're really close in terms of you know upside and you know who's going to be the de better defenseman but personally I've watched more Jamie Drysdale uh, film than Jake Sanderson but I, I think uh, Jamie Drysdale can be legit so I want to actually touch on Jamie Drysdale because I was able to watch a little bit of Jake Sanderson and he's definitely 
climbed a lot for me. And I'm not saying I like him more than Drysdale, but there are elements to his game that I really prefer. And I feel like a lot of people when talking about Drysdale, the first thing, and rightfully so, they mention is they're skating, but a lot of people feel or fear that he's a bit too confident in his, in his own zone, or he might have the finishing ability at the NHL. And some people drawing comparisons that he's going to be like an elite or, or a top offensive driver. Do you think that might be a little bit of a reach when talking about um, Jamie Drysdale, or do you think that's, that's a fair evaluation of him? I really don't think so. I think uh, with Jake Sanderson, he sort of had the pieces around him. He's playing on the national development team. So that's the best players in his age group. He's playing with legit, you know, division one players and, you know, legit NHL prospects. Whereas Jamie Drysdale, he's sort of playing on an area team that's still rebuilding. So he had to do a little bit more than what he was asked to do. Like he had to carry the load a lot. So he had to do, you know, some things that maybe wasn't the best idea, but it was, you know, it needed to be done in order to help the right. team win. So, so we saw Jamie Drysdale do a little bit too much, but we also saw in the world juniors how, you know, like, see, that's the world juniors thing. You got to look at right. it a little bit. Jamie Drysdale was very responsible defensively. You know, he was asked to do a different role uh, on that world junior team. He wasn't asked to, you know, put up points and, you know, be a driver offensively. He was, he was sort of asked to play a shutdown role and he did that, you know, to, uh, he did an incredible job doing that. So I do think Jamie Drysdale does have the potential to be a really good defenseman, like, you know, defensive side of the puck, but offensively, I think he's very special. And just, just to pick your brain, just cause I'm curious, if you're a GM on the floor and you're about to make your pick and you had to pick between Drysdale and Sanderson, never mind which way they shoot or which side they play, which, which is the defenseman you're going with. That's, that's a really tough one. That is a really <laughs> tough one. I think they're really close, but uh, personally, since I've watched more Jamie Drysdale, I, I watched him since, you know, his Toronto Marlies days. And I, I know what he's capable of on that Marlies team. He was a stud defensively as well. So, uh, and also potential wise, I do think he does have a, just a smidge higher of a ceiling. So I'd go with him. All right. I want to get your opinion real quick. Sorry, just, Nick, we'll get to you in just one second. Sorry. Uh, just about the 2020 draft class and how this compares to other years, because this is one where, realistically once you get out of the top two three to eight maybe even three to twelve some would say as a crapshoot what, what do you think about that and, and nick i'll ask, actually ask you what do you think is different about this draft that leads you know everything after pick three to be random and almost a lot of teams are expected to draft for need for need more than they are um for uh, best player available well in my sense what i'm getting out of this there have been so many players in the past couple of years that have made impacts. I, we just saw it in the playoffs with Braden Point, a former third-round pick, that have made impacts after being drafted later on in the draft. And I think we're seeing some, at least in the past couple of years, with teams starting to try and think more outside the box, try and get sort of an advantage on draft day. And this year's top 10, outside of that big three, I think is the complete byproduct of that. I think everybody's just trying to get one leg up on the other, looking outside of traditional routes, outside of those big three, just to see what other options are there. Because nobody wants to be that team anymore that missed on this impact player who went later in the first round or even later in the draft. And, you know, I think we're seeing that. Obviously, on paper, this draft is a lot deeper. Looks like there's going to be a lot more superstar level talents that come out of this draft than what we've seen in the past couple of years. Um, just in my personal opinion, I don't think it's going to get anywhere near the 2015 draft. I think that may be the 
shiny example of this generation of hockey players, but this draft is definitely just behind it. And it's a really good one. There's going to be some really high impact players that come out of there. Rain, we'll get your thoughts on that as well. What do you think about how the disparity in, in talent here and how anything after three can really be random? I want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think this is actually one of the deepest drafts I've seen period. You know uh, I'm just looking you know, at the rankings we have at McKean's, like we're looking at guys like Dylan Holloway, who's, you know, maybe a mid to late first round pick, but, you know, say if he's in a draft last year, say his birthday's, you know, uh, 10 days before, I think he's a top 10 pick. It's just players like that. I think this draft is really deep. You can find, you know, elite talent anywhere in, in the first three rounds. Like, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Brendan Brisson. He's, uh, you know, a late first round pick, but he, tore up the ushl this year as an 18 year old and it's pretty crazy that this draft is really deep i think this 02 class in general they, they got some real legit talent and you know personally i've i've been on that you know bandwagon that this 2020 class could be you know 2003 level that's how good they are well i'm glad to hear that because i i've i've only really started following prospects about two years ago so finally getting into it understanding the class much better has helped me and it's it's fun to it's fun to watch prospects and I just want to actually ask you both this do you I'm at the point now where I don't want to say I'm bored of the NHL but a lot of times I find it more enjoyable to watch players and figure out their trajectory and their path and how they're going to translate to the NHL Nick I'll ask you do you sometimes find it more enjoyable to to watch a player who whose play might be a little more uh uncertain yeah, I do like it. I think it's an interesting uh, thing to watch. Obviously, I don't follow prospects as heavily as you two, and I don't consider myself a prospect guru of any kind. But I do enjoy watching and rooting for players that, you know, maybe aren't the finished article or at least have some raw talent and seeing how they figure it out. And I've been doing that, you know, my entire hockey fandom in the Ottawa system. I've always pegged out certain players that I like and ones I want to see do well just based on their skill set. And, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of that this draft. There's a lot of players that we already discussed sort of around that top five bubble that have the tools there, but maybe there's sort of just different things that cause shifts in opinion when it comes to them. So, yeah. And Rain, what do you think about that? Yeah, I've had the, that same impression, I think, since I was nine or ten. Uh, I've always been a big junior hockey guy over the NHL. Uh, you know, just to see the development of players and uh, just the impact of junior hockey in your city and just overall in general, you know, the junior hockey community is pretty small, you, you know, even division one, you know, you get to see players that choose different paths and you get to see their growth. And that's something that I always love doing. And, you know, I always like whenever I'm watching the NHL, which was a lot in the bubble, it's I'm always looking at, you know, the top players and I'm not looking at them in their present day. I'm always you know, remembering back in the day, like a, a prime example is a, a Patrick Kane. You know, whenever I watch that guy play, I always think about when I was seven years old, watching him play, you know, the Mississauga Ice Dogs and him dominating. That's, that's, uh, those are the special moments. And I think junior hockey has that different feel to it, that, you know, family feel. And that's why I uh, prefer it over the NHL. Uh, Patrick Kane, best American of all time? Always, always. Okay. All right. Well, just one more thing. Undisputed. About, undisputed. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more thing just about scouting and, and looking at this class and this class, especially because this really is a unique case. We talked about Lucas Raymond and how people didn't really appreciate his game and Anton Lundell as well. Now that seasons have started again, people are starting to appreciate those players. 
And I want to ask you, and, and Nick as well, I want to ask you both, how has the four extra month, months changed the way we evaluate a class? Do you think that too much time can be a bad thing? Does too much time sort of reinforce your own beliefs, for example, like Lucas Raymond always being this good? Um, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? And uh, I just want to know what, what you thought and what it's been like for you as a scout to look at prospects for an extra four months before they even get drafted. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you got to use both sides of the argument here. I think it's one thing. It's a great, it's always great to get more time, right? You know, say, for example, you're writing an essay and you get like a three-day extension out of nowhere. That's the best feeling in the world, right? So, you know, one of the, the positive sides of having this pandemic is getting to see prospects that you wouldn't have time to look at. But also, I think it's also, you know, not a great thing to just have extra time because you start to overthink on certain prospects. You start to pick point, you know, on the little things and that makes you or that makes them fall on your uh, radar. So that's something that you got to really find the balance in between. You can't over scout a prospect because once you do that, then, you know, you're just going to find all the negatives in them and you're not going to like that player. So you got to find a balance between both. But personally, I did like the extra time. It's just you can't you know, overlook on someone or you can't just like, you know, continue to dive into a certain player. I think the big losers here in a lot of ways are the fans with how much this draft has been pushed back. I don't know about you guys from my experiences online, the amount of hysteria around this draft is for senators fans is deeply concerning. (laughs) I get it with the added stress of having two in the top five and they're at such a crucial point, but just from my experiences, what I've seen it's almost as if everybody is clinging on to every single word or report or rumor that has come out. Um, you know, just last week, everybody was completely certain the senators were going to take, uh, sounded like everybody thought they were going to get Byfield at three and it was a foregone conclusion. They were going to take Jake Sanderson at five, but then you shift to this week and all of a sudden, you know, Ottawa's head scout Trent Mann comes out and compliments Lucas Raymond and, it's the Lucas Raymond love affair. And then today, TSN's mock draft show, Ottawa ended up with Tim Stutzla. And I've probably seen a thousand tweets about Tim Stutzla today. I'm sure that's the same thing for every single fan base. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's the added hysteria that four extra months of watching this class has brought on. And especially now that some of these players are playing like Lucas Raymond, you know, there was hype around him before, but now that he's potted a couple of goals early in the season over in Sweden, like it, the conversation about drafting has been surrounding Lucas Raymond for at least the past couple of weeks now. So in a lot of ways, I think the fans are the big losers in this because it's that extra level of stress, nervousness, hysteria that the four months have added. Well, we also saw Jack Quinn's name at number five a couple of times. We also saw yeah, a- that was, that was a good one too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yaroslav Askarov. We'll get to predictions later. Um, or Nick. Yeah. How about we take predictions now? If you want to jump into those. Yeah, we can take some predictions now. And, uh, you know, I'll just pose a couple of these to you. I guess we can start with the Montreal Canadiens. Patrick, Bergevin, is he going to keep or move their pick this year in the first round? Um, it's a really movable pick in this class. But, again, um, to look at other teams, and especially Ottawa, I think not only is it easier to predict who Ottawa is going to pick, but – you also have Ottawa media and, and Dorian and, and their scouts being a little more vocal about that. Whereas I think in Montreal's case, Bergevin and, and Trevor Timmons, they've kept relatively quiet uh, about their plan with the 16th overall pick their, their plan as a, as a team in general. Um, if I'm Montreal, I mean, like, I don't want to say keep or move cause I don't want to make that absolute decision, but 
there are a lot of players that I really like at 16. And I think as of right now, unless there's some blockbuster deal that's going to help Montreal right now, then I'm keeping the pick because I honestly think the players at 16 can be top six forwards, can be strong wingers. And Rain, I want to pose this question to you now. Um, Mark Bergerman with the 16th overall pick, do you think they keep it or do you think they move it? Or um, yeah, I just want to know your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I think with Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens, I think they have a really deep prospect pool. You know, it's not talked about enough in the Montreal media. He, you know, him and his staff, they they do a great job of, you know, finding talent. It's just the development part that's been a little, you know, yeah. suspect at times. But yeah, overall, I think, you know, if I personally, I would keep that pick just because of this draft, but I totally see the idea of, you know, trading back and, you know, acquiring more assets. But, you know, at this point in Montreal's, you know, uh, rebuild or retooling, you know, I, I think I'd keep the pick just because you're going to get a legitimate bona fide, you know, top prospect for that 16 overall pick just because of how deep this draft is. And, you know, yeah, you, you have the idea of trading back and, you know, getting more prospects, but that's not where Montreal is at the moment. You know, they're not, they haven't blown up the whole, you know, roster and they're just trying to stock up as many pieces as possible, but you're trying to get the best prospects. And I think, at 16th overall, you know, it's a no-brainer to keep that pick. Nick, do you have any other thoughts on Montreal? Because I know I had a couple more Well, yeah, I was going to pose the question to you. It seems like they need to go big score here. Do you see that? Are you asking me? Yeah. You're asking, okay, sorry. Yes, I thought you were asking Rain. I thought it was uh, – um, yeah, I, I'm looking at the wingers. I've seen, I know Corey Promen's rankings. He had Montreal taking, taking Caden Gooley. And, Rain, I wanted to know your thoughts on that later. I don't think it's Montreal's in a position unless – miraculously Jake Sanderson falls to, to take a defenseman. Um, we know they signed Joel Edmondson. You know, you have Romanov stepping in. You still have Jeff Petrie and Shea Weber who are strong defensemen. Um, Matias Norlander over in, uh, in the SHL playing with Lucas Raymond right now. I, I, I don't think they're in a position here to take a defenseman at 16, anything, any defenseman that's available at 16, even someone at like Caden Gooley, I think would be a reach. So um, I'm looking at the wingers. I'm looking at Dawson Mercer. I'm looking at Rodion Amirov. Those are players that I've watched, especially Amirov, who I think is one of the biggest sleepers in this year's class. And that begs me to ask a question to you, Rain. Um, of the three, because this is where Ottawa, the the expectations, we, we have an idea of who Ottawa is going to pick. But in Montreal's case, no one really knows because there are the consensus players at 16, that like Mercer, that people could take. But then there's always the chance that someone's going to reach for a Ghoulie, someone's going to reach for a Jarvis, and that could leave to players falling to Montreal. So who do you think Montreal should target with the 16th overall pick? Personally, I, I mentioned him earlier in the show. I'm a really big fan of Dylan Holloway. That guy is just an, you know, I think he's a complete player. I think, uh, you know, playing at Wisconsin, it was sort of a rough year. Uh, you know, Cole Caulfield and Alex Turcotte, they had a lot of, you know, pressure being that, you know, one of the greatest freshman classes that Wisconsin's ever had. But, you know, Holloway was really productive. I really enjoyed him. Uh, I think he should have made the World Junior team. I thought that was a, a pretty uh, – him and Alex Newhook got cut, and I didn't think that was a smart idea. But, you know, the options are there for Montreal. Like like I keep saying, this is a deep draft. There's so many options. I'm a real big fan of Rodion Amirov, like you said. Uh, there's just so many options that the Habs can go. I think – you know, going for a defenseman isn't really the best idea considering the defensemen they're available. I think they're sort of projects. I think Montreal has to pick the best player available. That's 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 where they are at this point. Uh, they don't need to get, you know, projects and, you know, have them develop there. They got to look for the best player available and, you know, who can help their team in, you know, two or three years instead of four and five. 
All right. And before we hand it over to Nick to talk a little more about Ottawa, I want to ask because I'm a little bit worried about Montreal at the 16th pick, especially since Corey Promen reported they might be interested in Caden Gooley. But the three that I have my eyes on, I guess the, the main one is Amirov. But if you're Mark Bergevin, you have the 16th overall pick, and your three choices are Dawson Mercer, Rodion Amirov, or Jacob Perot, who do you think Montreal should take with that pick? Hmm, that is a good question. I'm probably going to go with Rodion Amirov. Okay, yeah, that's what that's the, go that's the answer I, I wanted. I probably, so. <laughs> I'd probably go, if you're going to rank the three, uh, I'd probably, like in my opinion, I'd probably put Amirov one, and then uh, Mercer two, but then Perot's a little behind there. I think he's really underrated as a prospect. Okay, well, that's the answer I wanted, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, Nick, we'll, we'll move on to you, and we'll talk about the sense here. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Ottawa's draft class on the show and how big of a deal this draft is for Ottawa. This could literally alter the course of the franchise, uh, not to, you know, undersell it at all, but, you know, <laughs> everything is hinging on this draft, in my opinion, at least. Oh, 100%. Um, picks three and five for Ottawa. They also have 28, but, you know, there's a lot of random possibilities there. Three and five we can talk about a little more certainly. I'm going to go out on the limb right now. Well, Pierre Dorian has essentially already confirmed they will take Quentin Byfield or Tim Stutzla at number three. That one is a certainty. I think it's so close. Nobody really knows which way LA is going to go. I'm got my fingers crossed for Quentin Byfield at number five. I'm a believer that they are going with Lucas Raymond. I've said that to Patrick a hundred times. I've said on this show before, I'll throw it over to you guys because I've said it. I want to know what people who don't follow the Ottawa market as closely think. Rain, I'll start with you. At number five, if you're the Ottawa Senators, who would you select? I think it's Lucas Raymond or Marco Rossi. I think those are the two players that you go after. Uh, I, I know I know for a fact that Pierre Dorian and his staff watched a lot of Marco Rossi, you know, being probably like five minutes away. And uh, – there's no way that they don't love that player after the performance that he had this season. I think that he's a real big shot of being number five, but if Lucas Raymond's still there, you, you got to take him. Patrick. You have to take him. Well, I've, I've thought up Ottawa's a fun team to, to play with right now. I mean, you can, you can look at some oh, yeah. possibilities and oh, yeah. I've had a bunch of scenarios in my head. I know I asked you about the Askarov one, but then that, that quickly died down because you can easily get a goalie in free agency. I think yeah. at number three, you go byfield, and I, I have a feeling LA is going to take Stutzel. So you go byfield at number three, no questions asked whatsoever. At number five, if Raymond is there, because I'm pretty sure Detroit has a lot of interest in Cole Perfetti, I have a feeling at this point Perfetti will be gone by then. Um, if Raymond's there, you take Raymond. But at the same time, and this might be a hot take, I'm a big fan of Anton Lundell. And I think if you take Anton Lundell with the fifth overall pick, I don't think that would be that bad of a move by Pierre Dorian that way you've you've identified a major hole within Ottawa and that's down that's down the middle now you have a first line center and a really strong second line center I still think Lundell has potential 1c potential uh, 1c ability um, but if you draft Byfield Lundell you're set on the wing you're set on defense and now you have top two centers and, and in the next five years they will be one of the best one two punch in the league I'm not saying they should do that I just think that's a possibility but if you're going best player I think Byfield Raymond without any questions now, Ottawa has been floated around as a team that could take a swing on Jake Sanderson as high as five. We already got Reigns thoughts, but the other one that is the wild card in this and is the wild card in the top 10 and possibly the top five is Yaroslav Askarov. 
taking a goalie so high in the draft is such a hot debate topic. Rain, I want to just quickly get your thoughts on Yaroslav Askarov and your predictions for who takes a swing on him in the draft this year. I think he's probably one of the best goalie prospects I've seen since, I guess, Andre Vasilevsky. Maybe I think he's better than Ilya Samsonov, but uh, I, I am absolutely all in in Yaroslav Askarov. I just think the teams in the top 10 should choose a player instead because, you know, I know we saw with, you know, Andre Vasilevsky, he had that great playoff run, but then you look at all the other teams, they didn't, they're not first round picks. They're usually free agent signings, Anton Hudobin, Robin Leonard was, you know, via trade. Uh, who was the other team? Damn, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Islanders. Varlamov. Varlamov, Varlamov free yeah, agent signing. Free agency as well. So I think uh, the need for goalie is obviously important. It's the most important position in hockey. But I think in a draft class like this, you know, I think leaning towards a player is really important. But I'm also saying this because I really, I really, really want him to fall to Chicago. I think that's the perfect pick, uh, <laughs> fit for him. Uh, you know, Chicago does have a pretty deep prospect pool. Uh, it's not the deepest, but it's, you know, decent. And uh, it would just solve everything for Chicago. You know, you, you sign Corey Crawford to that two-year deal, you know, that bridge deal, let him, you know, finish out his career in Chicago. And then once that's over, you slide him in and that's your number one goalie. All right, quickly now, I guess we'll move on because I know we get a lot of their fan base viewing the show. Toronto Maple Leafs, they obviously moved into the top 15 of the draft after trading Kasperi Kapanen. TSN today and Craig Button in their mock draft had them selecting Braden Schneider at number 15 defenseman. Is that a good pick for them at 15? Do you guys think they look for a defenseman? Obviously, that would be drafting for a positional need. Uh, what are your guys' general thoughts on that? Uh, if I can, I, I don't, Rain and I might disagree here. Braden, um, I liked Braden Schneider initially, and then the more I watched of him, um, I don't want to say I was unimpressed. I just didn't think there was much more he could offer, and I don't think he has a very high ceiling as a defenseman. I think it would be wiser for Toronto, if they're going to take a defenseman, to take someone like Caden Gooley. Um, but everyone right now, I think, is making the claim that Toronto is going to make a positional pick, and a positional pick would be Braden Schneider. Um, I don't think – I. I haven't finished my first round mock, but I don't think I would have Braden Schneider as a first round talent. I think they're better like defensive defensemen because that's what it's all about, right? Toronto talks so much about having a strong presence on the back end who isn't flashy like their forwards. They want someone stable. And I think you can, there are plenty of Braden Schneiders out there that you can get relatively cheap via trade, maybe even free agency. And I think if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're taking the 15th overall pick and you're getting someone such as Schneider, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it's not nothing against him as a player. I think he has a second pairing potential, but I don't think you would take the 15th pick on that when there's going to be someone like a Holloway, when there's going to be potentially a Jarvis. There are a lot of strong players that could be available forwards ahead of him. So um, I don't think that's a smart move for Toronto. And Rain, I want to hear what you think, because I, I, I'm not sure. Are you high on, on Braden Schneider? I do like Braden Schneider as you know a prospect. I, I think he is a first-round talent, but I don't think the Leafs should take him with number 15. I think the Leafs should take BPA, best player available. Uh, you know, when you have the 15th overall pick and, you know, I know all three of us here aren't the biggest leaf people, but like, you know, they're probably not going to be picking number 15 anytime soon. So I do think they should, you know, pick best player available. I think the fan base will be a little upset. They don't, that they don't pick a defenseman, but you know, Brendan Schneider or Kaden Gooley aren't going to step into the NHL next year. It's just, that's the way it is. Uh, they think that, you know, 
drafting a defenseman will help their defensive situation instantly. And that's not the case. We saw with Timothy Lilligren, you know, they drafted him, what, 18th, I think? Uh, mid first round, anyway. He might have but... also been 15. He was right around there. He, he yeah, was in the 15. Yeah. I know he was a mid first round pick, but like, I just think he still hasn't played a full season in the NHL yet. You know, it's different with defensemen. So I think Leaf fans should not, or Leaf fans should not be upset if Kyle Dubas doesn't pick a defenseman. If he picks the best player available, I think that's the best idea for them because, yeah, like like I said, they won't have a you know uh, an early first round pick anytime soon because they do have a pretty talented roster. You know, can't deny that. So. I think uh, they do pick best player available and then go from there. Well, I want to touch on the Leafs real quick just before we get to our other segments. And that's Kyle Dubas. If it's 15, is a weird spot to be if you're Toronto. And like we said, they want to get a defense when they need help defensively right now. That's been basically the story for Toronto the past couple of years. Do you think they take a look and I'll, I'll pose the question to both of you. Do you think they keep the pick or do you guys, can you guys see uh, Kyle Dubas moving that one? And uh, Nick, we'll start with you. Just on the, based on the current cap climate, I think they're going to take some time and wait a bit into the first couple of days of free agency before they do any big trading. So for that reason, I think they're going to look at just making the draft selection and worst comes to worst, they can flip that player down the road if they want to bring in talent. But I just think right now it makes more sense for them, given the uncertainty that lies ahead to make the draft selection at 15. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I was going to, I was just about to say that I think the Leafs do keep that pick and do end up taking, you know, the best player available because, you know, come trade deadline, I know for a fact, they're going to be shopping that, that prospect for, you know, someone that can help right now, because at this point in the Leafs, like rebuilding process, they're not rebuilding anymore. They're trying to win a Stanley cup. So uh, I think they do make that selection, but once again, down the road, I think they do use it in a package for, you know, legitimate, uh, you know, trade. Okay. Right, well, uh, yeah. Last couple of questions here. We'll do it rapid fire style. I will uh, lead this and I'll ask you guys, we'll do it quickly just so we can get into our mailbag that we didn't get into yesterday here before we wrap up last couple of draft thoughts quickly, guys, who has the highest ceiling of this draft rain? Start with you. Quinn Byfield. Uh, I would, I would say Quinton Byfield, but for the sake of having, uh, saying a different player, I'm going to say Marco Rossi. Highest floor. Uh, I have Anton Lindell. Like floor is in like NHL ready. Uh, like like yeah. floor, like do you mean floor? Like if, if they don't, even if they don't reach their max potential, they'll, they'll still be pretty strong. That's how I look at it. Or how, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah, I'd say Lindell. Yeah, I'm probably gonna go with the Jake Sanderson. I, All I right. Think, um, yeah. Biggest sleeper. Ooh, I like this question. If we're if we're looking first round talent. Or top ten talent, I would say Anton Lundell. If we're looking at as a draft as a whole, I'm going to go. And I know Rain, you're going to appreciate this. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke, I think he's one of the smartest defensive defensemen I've ever seen. And I know Nick and I we talk about defensive defensemen. He is so smart defensively, and I think he has an underrated offensive side. So um, he sort of crept into my my uh, my top thirty. And for for that reason, I'm going to go with him as a biggest sleeper. Hope you appreciate that one, Rain. By the way, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, sleeper-wise, I do have a list here. And uh, I, you know what? For the sake of this, uh, since you brought up Ryan O'Rourke, I'm going to bring up a good friend of mine, uh, Rory Karens, on the same okay. team. Uh, he's a real talented player. Uh, you know, he plays the game really well. He's a, he does everything right. And, uh, you know, I think Sioux, the Sioux Greyhounds are going to be a really good team this year. They got everyone coming back. And, you know, most likely they host a Memorial Cup. And then 
you know, Rory's just going to – his, his uh, stock will become even higher after he's drafted. All right, my bias to the York region area is already shown through with Quentin Byfield. I'll throw a hat into the – I'll throw a ring into this hat. Evan Veerling of Aurora, Ontario, I think is going to be a sleeper in this draft for sure. Most NHL ready. I'll say Lafreniere, and I'm ready for the mailbag. That's why probably why I'm All saying right. Lafreniere. But, yeah, Lafreniere. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's Lafreniere, like no doubt about it. All right, well, that concludes our draft talk for this year. I think we're all looking forward to Tuesday, and it's going to be an exciting time. Yes. Uh, Patrick, I'll throw it over to you because we have some mailbag questions, some draft, some not, yes. Let's, but these uh, are always fun to do. Exactly. So we went through this yesterday, but we talked. We had we got in an argument about analytics, so we never actually got to touch on it. But we have a, a mailbag section. We asked people on, on Twitter to ask us questions. Some are draft-related. Some are ho- just general hockey. I want to go to general hockey for a second because it's been a while since we've talked – NHL or I guess all episode um, we can start this from Jean-Sebastien Leconte. He has three questions and this one is it's not my bias, but it's a Montreal related question said uh, what should the Habs do with their congestion at the defense position? Uh, I'll pose the question to you, Rain. You know, I think Montreal, they impressed me. You know, I thought that, you know, they weren't really good defensively, but then once we saw the Pittsburgh series and we also saw in the Philly series that they are pretty good defensively I think the I think one thing that I, I talked to you about you know outside of the show is I don't think Alexander Romanov should play in the NHL next year I think they need to ease him in play him in the play him in Laval a little bit and then let him develop so I, I think Montreal does have a pretty good situation defensively it, it is a little congested but you know I think they'll make it work Nick what do you think uh, for me they just need to get creative with where they're spending their money a bit for me that defense is pretty expensive. It's not a very young defense core. Uh, they just need to watch where they're handing out money. Obviously, when you're paying big contracts to guys like Carl's and Joel Edmondson, it's a bit questionable. Uh, ben Chirot, too, was also very questionable, although he had a good year last year. They just need to be careful. They need to spend a bit more wisely, maybe look in the bargain bin for some more defensemen, especially when they're trying to fill out depth as opposed to committing term and money. All right, Rain. Um, this is another question from Jean-Sebastien. He says, what can the Minnesota, Minnesota Wild do from now on to have a successful rebuild? This is a fun one. I think the one thing, if they want a legitimate rebuild, they got to blow up that whole team. But if, if, you're, if you really want to rebuild, you can't keep, you know, you can't have players that will help you win. You, you got to sort of, you got to sort of tank. You got to get those assets and you got to start from there. Yeah, that's a, a weird situation for Minnesota. I think they really torpedoed or sewered themselves with that uh, Parise contract, the no move clause. They're in a really tricky situation, especially with the expansion draft coming up, who they're going to protect. You know, they, there's a lot of no move clauses. It's going to be tough to let mm-hmm. some of the guys go. Uh, our good friend, Matt Mallard, he asked, do you think there are other options for the Leafs to address their defensive issues outside of Petrangelo, perhaps through free agency or through a trade this offseason? Nick, what do you think? Yeah, again, like like I just said with Montreal, they're going to have to get very creative. Again, looking at the bargain bin, um, finding somebody, whether in, that's internally through somebody like Erasmus Sandin or Tim Lilligren, that can fill the minutes that Cody Cece and Tyson Berry uh, played this season. Obviously, both of them did that to, uh, uh, to say it nicely, varying degrees of success. And I was pretty critical of that. But uh, they just need to find somebody who can – play you know sort of in all situations uh for not a huge deal like Petrangelo somebody like Dylan DeMello former Ottawa Senator I think would make a lot of sense so I'd be looking around at that if I was Toronto 
All right, Drew Hardman asked, and I'll direct this one to you, Rain. Based on assets, cap space, current roster, which organization do you feel is best set for the next five to eight years? I think it's a no-brainer. It's the New York Rangers. They've got probably one of the deepest prospect pools in the entire NHL. They have the first overall pick for Pete's sakes. And also, they've got a pretty good roster, I mean, out there. You know, they sort of had, my personally, I thought the Hart Trophy winner, they've got a legitimate number one center in Mika Zibanejad. And, you know, they also have who I thought should have been a Calder nominee and Adam Fox. They're, they're complete everywhere. I think as long as they continue to develop that core, uh, Igor Shashirkin, I think, is a legitimate number one goalie in this league. And mm-hmm. I think the New York Rangers are overall the best set for the next five to eight years. My, my thoughts initially were the Rangers. I would add just underneath is the Colorado Avalanche. They have an underrated oh, prospect pool. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have a guy like Newhook. You have a guy like Byram. Even someone like Alex Bocage, who I've grown to mm-hmm. like. I know he has some skating issues, but nonetheless. I'd say for them, they're the one to five years as opposed to the five to eight. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, another one from Matt Mallard here, and, and I'll direct this one to you, Nick. What, what is one free agent you would like to see your team take a run at in the offseason? That's a tough one. Uh, If I'm the Senators, I'm looking uh, for just some depth forwards to help try and fill out the team. Perhaps somebody uh, bringing back Tyler Ennis. I think I would like that one. Some move like that, just a guy who can play sort of all situations and still be decently effective. I think they're going to go out and trade for Matt Murray, but if not, I would look for a uh, temporary fixed in net, maybe somebody like a Thomas Gray, somebody that'll take a couple of years contract, not be too expensive for Mr. Melnick and, uh, can do an adequate job in the net. All right, final question. I direct this one to you, Rain, seeing as it fits with the draft theme that we're going for today. This is also from Matt Mallard. He was a he was a champ, and he asked a, quite a few questions. He said, <laughs> who do you think is the most underrated prospect in this year's class? I'm going to go with uh, – there's two names I wanted to talk about. Uh, one is Topi Nimala. I think a lot of people don't like to talk about him just because he's a you know finished defenseman. I think he's a really good defensive defenseman. Uh, we saw it, you know, at the pro level too, you know, he's logging a, a pretty good, decent amount of minutes and also uh, Daniil Gushin. So he played for Mus- Muskegon Lumberjacks in the USHL this year. I think is a great offensive talent. And uh, next year we're going to see him with the Niagara Ice Dogs. So I think he's a really interested, uh, interesting prospect. All right. As we wrap up here, Rain, again, we love having you on. We love talking prospects and hockey. And I love we should have on. you. I love yeah, being we- on. We should have one that's aside from prospects. Draft big, wrap up someday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We can do that. Why not? Because we know you're a big Blackhawks fan as well, but that just about does it for us here. I want to remind everyone who tuned into the show that it can be heard, uh, heard on Barnburner's radio network on its 122 platforms. Check out all of it on barnburner.ca for all the news and updates. Rain, before we go, drop your Twitter handle real quick for those. Uh, you can uh, catch me or beat me and follow it real quick. <laughs> at, at bringer of rain. I lost it for a month, but somehow we got it back. Thank you to that hacker. And, uh, we're back in business at Bringer of Rain. Awesome. Thanks again for having me on, guys. No Always worries. Always a pleasure. Thank you for everyone who uh, tuned in, and we'll see you next time.